Hello, I'm Polly McKinney, Advocacy Director at Voices for Georgia's Children. For those of you not familiar with Voices, we are a statewide policy and advocacy organization that works to improve the policies and practices that affect all children in our state. And this is our Challenges for Children podcast series. Recently, we decided to visit four Georgia counties to speak with community members about barriers local children face when it comes to health care. From this, we have developed a written report, which can be found on our website at www.georgiavoices.org. We also gathered a collection of recorded heartfelt interviews with community members. The latter have been crafted into our first season of candid and compelling podcasts, which illustrate the thoughts, experiences, and concerns families and providers have for the children in their care. This particular podcast shares some of the voices of Lamar County, Georgia. Lamar County sits near Georgia's geographical center on about 185 square miles of land. It is home to the cities of Barnesville, Aldora, and Milner. The county population is about 18,300, and approximately 21% of those people are children under the age of 18. More than a quarter of those kids live at or below the federal poverty level. The county has two elementary schools, one middle school and one high school. The unemployment rate hovers around 4%. The population is 65% white, 30% black, and 5% other races. For this podcast, I sat down with five community members who not only work with children, but also have children of their own. Let's meet them. My name is Amy Banks. I am the District Parent Engagement Coordinator for Lamar County School System. James Butler, and I am the Local School District Parent Mentor. My name is Julie Hawkins. I am the School Social Worker for Lamar County School Systems. Belinda Penniman, I'm a School Resource Officer at Lamar County Middle School and Juvenile Investigator. Valerie Presley, I'm an Administrative Assistant at the Health Department, working with Public Health. When you talk to folks outside of Lamar County and you try to describe to them what it's like for kids and families, how would you do that conversation? Being south metro Atlanta and then not near, you know, too close to Macon, um, sometimes I feel like we're lost. I feel like we're that population that um, we still have to drive and we get lost in the, well, everybody, you have resources. Well, no, we don't. We don't have a hospital here. We don't have an urgent care facility. We don't have an emergency uh, behavioral health unit here. I live in Monroe County, and we have access to pretty much anything we want. And to see the difference in the two counties is so disheartening. It's, it's, it's hard watching it because I know what my kids have available to them. And then I come here, and it's almost like I'm in a different world. In Lamar County, we don't have a lot of the newer equipment and things that I hear other people talking about because I mean I know some counties they have buses that will go and pick up people to bring them to the health department or whatever for routine shots and this and that and the other and we don't have anything like that or there's something that they need that we just can't provide. Let's say it's a Sunday night and a kid breaks his femur. What does that scenario look like? For me it means loading my other kids up and going to Macon, which is a good 45-minute ride from my house. What do families struggle with the most? I would say probably transportation. 
there's a lot of people, especially in this area, that don't have reliable transportation and they have to try and get a ride with someone else. And if you talk about going to a different city or county to get help, it's even that much more difficult to try and get somebody to take you. We don't always have transportation, a car. We don't always have a friend who has one. We talked about our taxi system. I think we have two, maybe three. They are private. And you're talking two, maybe three cars. Cars, yes. I'm so sorry. Individual cars, and they're a private car. So it's like if you call them, they may be available, they may not. If I have a crisis situation, which as a school social worker, I have crisis situations every day. I had two this morning before coming in at 9 o'clock to this meeting. That's not even an option. We in the school system are fortunate that we do have our SRO officers that can transport. I have to transport children home a lot, especially during flu season. I'm taking six to seven kids home a day because parents don't have the transportation to come pick them up. So we have to call, let them know they're sick, and then I have to transport them home. But that's just not for the middle school because I also do the primary school. So you're talking 10 to 12 students that I have to transport home during that that time because their parents don't have the transportation. How does that make you feel? Because your job as a school resource officer is to keep schools safe, not necessarily to be a taxi driver. Exactly. It takes me away from my job a lot. Sometimes when I'm transporting these kids home, I may go to the very edge of the county. So that's 30 minutes away from the school that I'm supposed to be there protecting and providing safety for, and I'm transporting sick children home. And this is sometimes could be up to 10 to 12 kids. Because a lot of our parents, they are working two jobs. Parents who feel as though if they take their children to the doctor's office or to the health department, there's a fee that they may not have the money to pay for. Are parents afraid to ask for what they need a lot? Yes. The parents I work with are mainly low-income families or families that are hard-to-reach families. And those families, it's not that they don't want the help, it's that they're scared of how they'll be looked at for asking for help. And the parents struggle also because their mindset becomes very minimal. And then they just stop doing it all because they feel like nothing is available to them. Nobody cares about them. So they stop caring themselves. And it spills over into their children. And then it's an endless cycle of thinking that way, that nobody cares. And they just exist. And they are okay with existing because their parents did it and were, were okay. That is their normal. So getting them to understand that that's not normal is hard to do. And this one particular parent has a, a kid that has cerebral palsy and can use and benefit nursing support. And we have some resources, but limited resources when it comes to that. But some of the agencies that come to the house because of the way the nurse present. Uh, even behave, that parent uh, tends not to uh, take advantage of that service because of the feeling, not because they couldn't use it and the kid doesn't benefit, but they'll, they'll not do it. So that behavior becomes a barrier, and it's a barrier that seems to be, to some extent in our society, accepting. And I think that's a lot more widespread than we really discuss and we talk about or even try to address. It's just there's so much of a need here, and nobody it's like nobody cares. And I understand why they feel that way, because it's like nobody cares. Talk to me about your homeless kids. Oh, now I'm going to get emotional. (laughs) 
our homeless population, you don't, you know, when you think of homeless, you think of, um, I've been to, you know, downtown Atlanta and some bigger cities, Miami and stuff, and you see people in the streets. And our downtown is not filled with, you know, cardboard beds and makeshift places. But these kids are living, they're living in their cars. My high school's 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds that are couch surfing. We have a backpack with their clothes. We do little hygiene kits, little food kits in their Ziploc, and we stick them in their backpack before they leave. They'll come to the counselor's office or my office and, hey, Miss Julie, can I get one of those? They don't have a place to put their toothbrush at night. You know what I mean? And those are things, and I'm so sorry, I'm crying. We take those things for granted. You know, I get up, I got up this morning and I knew exactly where my toothbrush was and where my toothpaste was, and I was able to get in the shower and I was able to get dressed. Our girls are having, you know, they may not have a mirror to fix their makeup. They have to get to the bathroom early at school. And they sneak in the back door because they're peers. You don't want your peers to know that you didn't have a place to change or to put your makeup on. I think of our babies. Their electricity goes off and they have, they don't have money in a bank account to go and pay or to do. How can you care about getting your kid in for their annual physical when you're dealing with Things like that. There you go. You're thinking survival. You're not thinking getting their shots or having, you know, again, even if they have a cold, it's like, honey, we don't have enough money to even, you know, provide. Also, sometimes you may see where when you go to talk to these parents that sometimes the issue starts there because they may show some sign of mental illness and it just spills over. And trying to get resources for those people are very hard. We we have nothing, and I told you, it's like an endless cycle. We're just going around in a circle, and then we got kids going to alternative school, then we have kids getting kicked out of school, and then it just, and the parents are looking for answers, but we don't have them. Most people, they don't know services that are here, and they don't know how to find services and get help there's not really one place to go that can tell you this is the best place to go to get this help this person is where you need to go or this office is where you need to go to help you fill out for medicaid applications or mental health issues or anything like that there's no no one place to go everybody has to hunt and search and call around and it gets frustrating because after you hear so many times, I don't know, I can't help you, you get fed up. <laughs> and you know, then you're, you're just like, okay, forget it. I'm just not even going to try anymore. If they have Medicare, Medicaid, um, and uh, WellCare, Marigroup, PeachCare, whatever, but they have to re-up every year, you know, and I know they get notified. I, I get it. I see some of their notifications. But do you honestly think they're thinking about that? Oh, it's January. i got to make sure. They're thinking of survival. They're thinking of what's next, what's next. That's a big one is, is when their health care is dropped. And then they're like, then you have to go through the process all over again of re-upping, putting all that information in, which means you got to find a computer, you got to find internet, which, again, we're Lamar County. Inside our little city limits, you can get internet. Outside, you can't. So you have to get to a place where you can, but you're sitting at the doctor's office and find out, oh, it's not working anymore. So then the embarrassment of that, 
you know, oh, I forgot. Well, you should have known. We sent you notification after notification after notification. And that's if they're still living at the same address. Some of our families don't, you know, and again, in my homeless families, they're living at the hotels. And you have to have a physical address, by the way. So you have to find somebody that you can use their address and then get a letter. Nope, you don't ever get that letter because you, you know, that family got it and they threw it away or whatever, you know, whatever. And so often our systems only limit, you know, have boundaries. Our systems have boundaries. In. And so my thing is just try to be, uh, create some level of flexibility and trust. Because uh, I think a big part of it has to be with trust, which is just a challenge within itself as far as trying to allow people to do their jobs and do it in a way that would be beneficial to, uh, um, I guess, the larger group or whatnot. It's just a challenge, though, yeah. What are your biggest challenges as a parent for your children's health care? The biggest that I faced recently was trying to get one of my children into a counselor when she needed it. It was going to be about a month and a half or two months before I could get her in, and I really had fear of her trying to hurt herself, and I couldn't, I couldn't wait that long. So I ended up having to go elsewhere and just pay out of pocket because insurance won't cover, but I felt that was better than my child hurting herself. Was there a moment at the beginning when you were realizing what was or might have been going on with her that you were concerned that you wouldn't be able to find the help in a timely fashion or close enough? Yes. She got turned down for something that she was trying to do at school, and a friend of hers contacted me and sent me a copy of messages, and she was saying things like, I'm nothing but trash, and all you do is throw the trash away and someone needs to just get rid of me and throw me away. And that was scary. And I was like, I, I can't have my child thinking she's not loved and cared for and that she's not worth anything. So what is the number one thing you think that state, city, or county government could do to improve children's health? First of all, I think they should listen. I mean, really listen to the need of the parents in the community. And not only just listen, but provide the resources, provide the financial uh, finances that the parents need in order for the children to be taken care of, the health as far as their health. Because if you just listen and then you don't do anything about it, we'll have this conversation again next year. And I'm tired of having the conversation. I'm tired of looking at the news and seeing why so many children are going to Facebook and because they don't have the finance to take care of their medical bills. You know, I go to the doctor, and if I don't have enough money, then they won't see my child. And no parent wants their child to be turned away. No parent. They need to know that I know no matter what. If I take my child to the doctor, my child will be seen then I guess I want them to know that we count. We, just because our zip code is different, doesn't mean that we're different. We have the same problems. We have the same issues, health care. We have the same uh, mental health. We have the same issues. We're just a little smaller population, but we, we matter just as much. And again, our needs are just as great. I think we deserve the same opportunities and afford the same rights and as far as care, health care, as every other citizen in the state of Georgia. All kids should have the right to have proper health care. They need to grow up healthy. I do see children who 
for one reason or the other don't have any health care parents can't afford to take them to the doctor so they'll try to self-medicate them and let them go and go and go and go and then the child is extremely sick by the time they end up at the emergency room what could have been easily stopped and prevented is now a life-threatening issue it's because parents either don't have time because they can't take off of work or can't afford to take their kids to the doctor. And, and we certainly have folks out in the community who are willing to help and do things in intention. But what I found that even within our system is that people say that they've done all they can do, but what they really are saying is they've done all they're willing to do. Because I think we can always do more. It, you know, even when it comes to money and different things like that, we can always do more. But sometimes we allow those systems to dictate to what extent we will go, even though we may want to go further. I hope we can, as a, a community, get to a place to where we're willing to do all we can do. And not necessarily what we're, you know, not necessarily stopping what, at that point of what we're willing to do. Because I think we can go beyond what we're willing to do. And that's just my biggest thing, see the babies. Take care of our babies. They are future. They're going to be making the same decisions that our lawmakers now are making. And those lawmakers are going to get sick, and they're going to get old, and they're going to need somebody fighting for them. So let's take care of our little ones so they'll be healthy enough to fight for us. That's how I look at it. This means a lot to you, doesn't it? It does. Tell me why. Because I care about the children at the school. I could go back and probably take a job making more money, but I don't because I care about the kids at that school. They're my heart. And to see them suffer and not be able to do anything for them is hard. Even as a law enforcement officer, I know people think we're hard and nothing affects us, but to see these kids struggle and you can't do anything for them is hard. At Voices for Georgia's Children, we advocate for all children in our state. And yet, even for us, it's sometimes easy to forget the real-life implications of public and private social policies, as well as the array of challenging issues that children and families encounter each and every day. It's our hope that these messages can guide the crafting of future initiatives, which could eliminate barriers to success that so many young Georgians face. We want to thank the people of Lamar County for their perseverance, their spirit, their willingness to share their thoughts and concerns. But most of all, we want to thank them for their unwavering commitment to the children in their community. Remember, you can read the entire report on healthcare barriers Georgia's children face, along with our suggested solutions, on our website, www.georgiavoices.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Polly McKinney with Voices for Georgia's Children.